Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Good morning. Hey, it is Easter Sunday, and we have a tremendous reason to celebrate today because we are gathered here today because this great love of God was extended to us. This amazing grace of God was extended to us and was verified and proved in history through Jesus' triumph over the grave, his resurrection from the dead. We have a tremendous reason to celebrate today. And, and I, I want us just to take a second and just respond together in a way that we don't do a lot of here uh, and just kind of a, a response. So I'm going to say something and then I want you to respond back. Is that all right? We'll try this. Uh, I, I'd love for you to respond with, this is Easter, okay? we just saying these words. Though I fall, you can make me new. From this death... I will rise with you. Oh, the grace reaching out for me, how can it be? This is Easter. Life replacing death. This is Easter. Freedom replacing bondage. This is Easter. Hope replacing sorrow. This is Easter. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we, we lift you up. We, we praise your name today. We're so thankful for what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. You have made a way for us to triumph over the grave. You have made a way for our sorrow to be replaced with hope, and we are people who live in a world of sorrow that need hope. Father, you have given us life, eternal life, even when our sins demand death and we are in so need of that because we are sinful people who are doomed for a separation from you, but you have given us eternal life as a gift through Jesus. Father, we are people who are enslaved to sin. We have no other options. We have no other choice on our own, but you, through the cross and through the empty tomb, have made it possible for us to triumph over the grave as well, for us to see this necessary rule of sin in our lives separated and broken that we might be free to follow you, and we are so thankful, Father. This day and every day, we can celebrate what you accomplished through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today that you would just work through uh, me as we open your word, and Father, that we would understand more of who you are. And Father, it would not be as a result of just our intellect, our ability to read and understand words on a page, because we need far more than just the ability to read and understand words on a page. We need your Spirit to illuminate these words for us. And Father, I pray that you would use more than just preparation, because Father, we, we need more than just things organized. We need your Spirit's power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to Awaken our hearts so that we could understand and see and believe and embrace what you're offering us in Christ. Father, may we not merely have wasted our time here today, but that we would connect with you through your word and through the work of Jesus Christ, that we might truly worship this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, when you got up today, the weather outside didn't necessarily look like Easter, did it? I don't know what Easter looks like in your mind, but for me, sometimes Easter, it's, you know, there's, there's the beautiful sunrise and, and all that, and maybe the sun's out now. I have been in here for a while, but when I came in today, it was, it was drizzly and rainy. I don't know if it was like that when you got up today, but it was kind of like that here. And if, when, I, when I have days like that where it's kind of drizzly and rainy, and sometimes I want to take my mind and go take a little mental vacation to a different place. You ever do that? Uh, you ever have those days like in the middle of the summer when it's 8,000 degrees outside and the sun is beating down? Do you ever just take a little mental vacation to that spot where you're in the mountains and it's cool and you're gathered around the fire? You ever do that? Just take a break? Maybe I'm the only one. The blank stares would indicate that. But do you, but do you, ever, do you ever do that? Indulge me a little, if you will. Do you, do you ever, in the middle of, uh, of the wintertime, whenever you're cold and you're freezing, you ever imagine that, that warm sun beating on your skin. Thank you, Joel. I've got one amen in the room. Uh, do you ever, you ever do that? Well, if that's the case, then this morning as we deal with this dreary weather, I want to give you a little mental vacation. I want you to go someplace beautiful with me, someplace that didn't have a lot of clouds, a place that I was at recently that had all kinds of sunshine, Southern California. And I want you to imagine going with me right now to Newport Beach, California, this beautiful town, uh, Beautiful beachfront townhomes overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Not a cloud in the sky. Sun beaming down. Sand pristine. Not crowded on the beach. And we go driving down the Balboa Peninsula just beyond Newport Beach. And it is just exquisite. And we park in a parking lot and we begin to walk towards the beach. And you can imagine it with me, right? You can see it. You're walking towards the beach. You look and there is a, 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 a pier that goes out two, three hundred yards into the Pacific Ocean. And you see it, and, and you're from Oklahoma like me, and so, wow, I don't get to walk on top of the ocean very often. And so we go walking out on this pier. Beautiful weather, beautiful scene, sun beaming down. We get about halfway down the pier, and over on the side is a pelican sitting on a post. Now, if you live in California, birds might be annoying, those seabirds. But you're from, I'm from Oklahoma. It was amazing. There was a pelican and we stop and we look, and while we're watching this pelican sitting on its roost, you know what we saw? We looked just over the edge of the rail, and down in the water is a sea lion playing in the water looking for something to eat. I kid you not. I was there recently, and you might be there with me now in this scene. As you think about the sea lion, the pelican, the pier, and you know what? As we walked down to the end of that pier, you know what was at the end of the pier? A diner that served great cheeseburgers, and milkshakes. Now, that may not be your fantasy, but it's mine. And, and there we were. We're sitting on the edge of the pier at Balboa uh, Peninsula, overlooking the Pacific Ocean, drinking a milkshake, eating a cheeseburger, sea lions below me. No joke, dolphins breaking the water out just beyond us. It was amazing. Do you, can, you, can you see it? Can you, can you feel it? Can you smell it? Can you feel the sun on your skin right now? Okay, maybe. You know what, as I describe it to you, there probably is something within you that wants to go there. And if, if we just broke the service right now and we had a jet in the parking lot, there'd be a few of you who would board it with me just to go and check it out. Um, it's, it's that kind of a place. Well, you know what, we don't have a jet in the parking lot and uh, we're not going to go there. But here's the thing, we have something even better. Today, we're going to leave this place and we're going to go through the power of the Word of God, and we're going to look at one of the most beautiful scenes in all of history. 
certainly the most significant event in all of history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's a particular scene that took place right around the resurrection that we're going to look at today that I think is beautiful and reveals the beautiful heart and reality of our Savior. And we get to look at it today. We get to go and see our Savior interacting with Mary Magdalene in the moments after his resurrection. And as we see it, we see him to be beautiful. We see him to be awesome and mighty. And my hope is just as we see these words, just as we'd want to go to California to see the surf, that we would want to embrace our Savior as we read his word today because what we see is someone worth trusting with our lives. We're going to look today at the book of John, chapter 20, verses 11 to 18. And we're going to see Jesus' interaction with Mary Magdalene right after his resurrection. My hope and prayer is that we see the beauty of our Savior and we're inspired to trust him more as a result. We're going to unpack these words together, but before we do it, I want to read them. And as you're turning to John chapter 20, verse 11, I want to just place it in some context. The Gospel of John was a book that was written to help us believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that we might trust Him. And John begins his story of Jesus Christ, uh, not with his earthly birth in Bethlehem, because John knew Jesus rightly to be the Son of God who has existed in all of eternity. So John begins his story of Jesus in John 1 with Jesus at the very beginning of creation. In the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's where John begins his story, the story of Jesus Christ. Then he fasts forward several years and begins looking at the events surrounding um, Jesus' earthly ministry, how he called forth disciples, how he went around and he taught a number of things, but he also did a number of authenticating miracles so that everybody who saw him would understand that he was special, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. Jesus lived out three years of itinerant ministry doing these kinds of miracles. John recounts them for us in his gospel. But then, right at the end of Jesus' earthly life, because of his claim of being the Son of God, because of the, the threat that he posed to the religious elite of his day, the Pharisees turned him over to the Romans to be crucified. And in John 18 and 19, we see the arrest, the crucifixion, the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. And when we get all the way over into John chapter 20, we have some of Jesus' followers running to the tomb to check on him three days after his death. Among them was Mary Magdalene. And she shows up at the tomb and she sees that the stone is moved and Jesus' body is missing and she begins to weep. That's the scene that we pick up in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, 
If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus had said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go to my brothers now and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things. Now, in these few verses, we see some prominent people that we might be able to connect with, to identify with, and certainly the person of Jesus is central. But as we unpack these verses today, I want us to see really three movements of thought in this passage that would help us to see the beauty of this event. The first thing I think is important for us to see is it's important for us to see Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary is obviously an important figure in this uh, account, but who was Mary Magdalene? And I think that's a, a good question for us to ask because if you have read the New Testament recently, you'll find that there are lots of Marys. You know, there was Mary, the mother of Jesus. There was, uh, you know, all kinds of Marys, even numerous Marys that show up to see Jesus on the cross. I mean, there are Marys everywhere inside the New Testament. So it's important for us to understand who this is. This Mary is identified by a second name, Mary Magdalene, so we would know which Mary they were talking about. Now, I can relate to this a little bit because my name is Mark, and I was born in the early 70s, and apparently in my region of the country in the early 70s, Mark was a fairly common name. And so all the way through school, I had to be given a second identifier. So I was Mark R. There was Mark Q, there were other Marks, but I was Mark R. And maybe uh, you have had a similar instance in your life. You have a common name, and you had to have a second name growing up. Maybe your kids have... Uh, somebody in their class of the same name, and they can relate to this, but there were many Marys in the New Testament. This particular Mary was a Mary named Mary Magdalene. Now, what do we know about Mary Magdalene? Well, we know from the book of Luke, chapter 8 and verse 2, that Mary Magdalene was someone who had been tormented by seven evil spirits, and Jesus had cast those evil spirits out of her life. And this had so revolutionized Mary. You can imagine being oppressed by one evil spirit, much less seven. And Mary had had these spirits cast out by Jesus that she began, began to become a follower of Jesus. She spent all of her time with him. She went around with his disciples and with his group, with his followers throughout his earthly ministry. The passage in Luke 8 also lets us know that Mary, along with a number of other women, pooled their resources to help fund Jesus' itinerant ministry in that day. Mary was somebody who Jesus had done something great for and someone who had spent a good deal of time around Jesus. It's interesting, too, that what we find out about Mary Magdalene ramps up when it comes to the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection, because Mary Magdalene is mentioned throughout the account of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. While all of the male disciples fled away, Mary Magdalene went towards Jesus at his point of need. She witnessed him on the cross and Three days after his death, she went to the tomb to take care of his body. Uh, Mary Magdalene was someone who was, was close to Jesus. Those are some of the things that we learn about Mary Magdalene. But what else do we learn about Mary specifically from this account in John chapter 20? Well, one thing that we learn about Mary from John 20 is that Mary loved Jesus. It's very clear that Mary loved Jesus. Now, 
you know, our kind of pop culture, Dan Brown novels, medieval legend, whatever you want to attribute it to, has wanted to take Mary's obvious love for Jesus and to make it into something romantic. But there's nothing in the Scripture or in history that would indicate that Mary Magdalene's relationship with Jesus was anything other than that of one of his followers, one of his disciples. And yet Mary loved him. She, she cared about him. If someone had cast seven demons out of you, you'd care about them too. And so Mary had a connection with Jesus. She spent time with him. She knew him and she loved him. Now, what does, does that love look like for Mary? Well, it's interesting that Mary's love for Jesus is revealed through her actions in this story. Her actions reveal her love for him. We see it throughout the account. First of all, Mary goes to take care of Jesus' body three days after he had died. See, Jesus had died at the end of a Friday, and, and they had buried him, and, and she did not, uh, they did not have time to properly care for the body, to anoint it with oil. And so after the Sabbath was over, Mary goes to the tomb to properly take care of Jesus' body. This is something that showed her love for him, her care for him. She wanted to give him a proper burial. She wanted to care for his body. It's a demonstration of her love. She would have rounded up spices and taken them there, something at great cost to herself because she loved Jesus. While everybody else was running away, she was running towards Jesus at the cross and on into the tomb because she loved him. Her love for him was demonstrated through her actions it's also shown in that she's there at the tomb weeping. Why is she weeping? She's weeping because she thinks someone has stolen the body of her Savior. If somebody desecrated the grave of someone that you loved, it would, it would hurt you. Why? Because you love them. You care for them. You have respect for them. Mary obviously loves Jesus, and it's demonstrated. Her love for him is demonstrated through her actions. Now, it's interesting and this is not the main point, but I think it's something worth noting at this point in the story. Um, you know, our love for Jesus, your and I's love for Jesus, also is shown through our actions. Ever thought about that? You know, sometimes we want to say that our love for Jesus is shown through what we know. And you know what? It's important that we know the right things about Jesus. It's important that we read the Bible. It's important that we, we study the things of God. I'm not downplaying that, but I am saying that in our world, sometimes we flip it around and we say those who, know, those who love God the most are those who know the most about God. And yet in this story, what we have is we have Mary who, who obviously had some wrong facts about Jesus. I mean, she thought he was dead and he was really alive. She had some wrong facts, and yet her love for Jesus demonstrated through her actions. Her, her, her emotions were moved. Her, her body was present at the tomb. She wanted to love and to care for him. And you know, many times for us today, our love for Jesus best shows forth with our actions as well as we love and care for his children, those around us. We love others. As, as we care for them, we demonstrate the reality that Jesus is important to us, that, that we love him. But Mary is one who loved Jesus. Second thing we see about Mary from this, this passage, though, is that she clearly thought that Jesus was dead. It's very clear, if, of, of everything else you could understand about this passage, it is very clear that Mary Magdalene thought that Jesus was dead. Now, why did she think that? Well, they, don't, it's not a trick question, because he died. That's why she thought it. 
because he died. Because she was present Friday and she saw him have these terrible wounds inflicted on him by Roman authorities who were professional killers. And they, they killed Jesus on the cross and they took him down and they buried him in the tomb. Tombs are not places that live people hang out. Mary thought that Jesus was dead because he had, in fact, died, but her belief that he was dead persisted on into Sunday. See, her information was not inaccurate. It was accurate. It just wasn't current. Jesus had, in fact, died, and and that was something Mary had a hard time getting around. She is going to the tomb early that morning to anoint his body because that's what you do with dead people. She is thinking, Mark chapter 16 tells us, as she's walking to the tomb, her biggest concern is how are we going to move the stone to get to the body to care for it? Because that's what you do at the tombs that have been blocked with large stones. The the people inside the tomb typically don't move the boulder. She's convinced that he's dead. Even when she shows up and and the stone is rolled away and she looks inside and sees that the tomb is empty of the body of Jesus and the rags that he was wrapped in are laying there, folded up. She, she did not think he is risen. She, she thought, what? Where have they taken him? Even when two angels are sitting on the place where Jesus was laid and announce that Jesus is raised from the dead, she doesn't quite understand what's going on. Even as she turns around and sees Jesus standing in front of him, what is her thought? Jesus is dead and his body has been moved. Can you help me find him? It is very clear that Mary believed that Jesus was dead. And you know what? Um, as we gather here today in this group, a number of us in this room, there, 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 are, there are some in this room, I believe, who came here today believing that Jesus was dead, still dead. You come here today to acknowledge a dead man, the way that we might remember Martin Luther King on his birthday or George Washington on his birthday or, or something like that, that we were here today to remember a dead man. And, and that might be your orientation. If, if that you've come here with that belief, you're in common with somebody who was present at the very first Easter morning. Mary believed that Jesus was dead. She came simply to pay tribute to a dead man. Mary loved Jesus. Mary thought that Jesus was dead. But the third thing that we see is that Mary was blinded in her grief. She was blinded in her grief. You know, why is it that Mary, as she gazes in the tomb and sees two angels sitting there talking to her, why is it that she doesn't recognize them as angels? Normally in the New Testament, when people see angels, what do they do? They fall to the ground. They say, woe is me. Mary doesn't do that. Why? She didn't even notice who they were. She just She's so broken up, the emotion has overcome her. She turns around and Jesus is standing in front of her. She doesn't recognize him. Why is that? Well, it's possible that Jesus had supernaturally blinded her to understand who he was. Well, that's possible. I think it's also possible that she was just so overcome with her grief that she couldn't see who was standing in front of her. You see, we can relate to that a little bit, can't we? If you've gone through a lot of of difficulty in your life, there's probably been a moment where you too have been blinded in your grief. Maybe it was when a loved one died prematurely. Maybe it was when suffering was being inflicted on someone in your family and you were enduring that with them and, and you just 
you're, you're, you're weeping and you're blinded in that moment, or a relationship is severed, a, a divorce is underway, uh, whatever it is, a, an illness, a diagnosis, there, there's just at times in our life that the grief blinds us to see the goodness of God around us. If you're here today and you're thinking that, you have something in common with the very first person who Jesus sees after his resurrection. Mary Magdalene loved him. She thought he was dead. She was blinded in her grief. But Mary's not who this story is about. This story is ultimately about Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Very God, incarnate in a human body, living out an earthly life so that you and I might know him. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He had lived out his school days in Nazareth. He had started an itinerant ministry in Palestine. He had taught many things. He had performed many miracles. He had lived a perfect life. And he had just been crucified on the cross for a crime he didn't commit so that his death might become a substitutionary payment to God so that you and I might have our sins forgiven and have new life. That's who Jesus is. And that Jesus who was crucified was just resurrected. What else do we see about Jesus, though, from these verses? The first thing that we see is that Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved her. And again, we don't have to tiptoe around this. Jesus obviously had an affection for Mary Magdalene. He loved her, not in a romantic way, but as he would any of his disciples, as he would Peter and James and John. Jesus loved her. He embraced her. She followed him. And Jesus' love towards Mary was demonstrated both during her life previous to this as he cast out demons that were oppressing her, but his love for her is also quite evident from this story. Don't believe me? Just look at some of the ways. First of all, it's fascinating to me that Mary Magdalene is the one who got to see Jesus first. All four gospel accounts mention Mary Magdalene as being present at the tomb. Um, Very important fact. And the first witness to Jesus' resurrection was this woman named Mary Magdalene. Now, we, we see that and we go, yeah, okay, she was the first one there. That makes sense, historical fact. But think about this. Jesus could have shown himself first to anybody, but he chose her. And when you know anything about the first century and how history was reported and, and who was a reliable witness, et cetera, et cetera, it is amazing that Jesus would cho- choose to first reveal himself to a woman because in the first century, women were not considered to be reliable witnesses. And yet Jesus goes out of his way to reveal himself to Mary first. Why? Well, we could get into all kinds of theological discussion, but let me just cut to the chase. I think because he loved Mary. It's just a demonstration of his love. Now, he showed his love in different ways to Peter and others, so it's not like it was totally unique. But one thing we can be certain of is that Jesus had a love for Mary. And not only did he reveal himself first to her, but but also he would have her be his herald going before to announce to the rest of the disciples what had just happened. It was an incredible thing that he entrusted to her, an incredible privilege. Jesus demonstrated his love for her through that. Jesus ultimately, of course, demonstrated his love for Mary most by dying on the cross for her sins. But his love was real. 
the embrace was genuine. Mary was loved by Jesus. If you're here today, you need to know that the God of the universe loves you. Jesus Christ loves you. Second thing we see about Jesus is not just that he loved Mary, but the second thing we see is that Jesus is alive. Mary thought he was dead, but you know what? He's very much not dead. He's alive. That's, that's the whole point of the story. If you miss that, You've missed this story because Jesus, who they presumed to be dead, who factually was dead on a Friday, raised from the dead on a Sunday. Jesus was alive, and there are a number of things that, that point to that reality, uh, the first of which is the stone was moved. Now, that's, at the very least, that's a hint that Jesus is resurrected. Now, the stone could have been moved. Maybe there was an earthquake. There was. Maybe the stone kind of rolled away, and body was still inside, but at least the stone begins to be a hint at it. Mary looks inside. What does she see? She sees two angels sitting on both ends of the place where Jesus was laid. That's a big hint number two. Angels are showing up to celebrate. The angels are declaring. The other gospels tell us that Jesus is resurrected. That's big hint number three. The, the things he was wrapped in are, are, are folded up in their place. That's, that's hint number four. But then she turns around and she sees Jesus standing there, and that is not a hint. That is full-on reality. Because you know what? Dead people don't stand, and Jesus was standing. Dead people don't talk. I don't care what M. Night Shyamalan taught us in the 90s. Dead people don't talk, and yet Jesus is talking. Dead people don't embrace those who they're around, and yet Jesus embraces Mary. What a moment to remove all doubt that Jesus was, in fact, alive. And you know what? This is of incredible importance to us today. Incredible importance. We need to know, we need to remember, we need to embrace the fact that Jesus is not dead, he's alive. You might have walked in here today thinking we were here to remember a man who died, who lived a long time ago, like any other historical figure. But the Bible doesn't give us that option. The historical record shows that Jesus didn't just die, but he also rose from the dead, making his life unique, making his claim and his promise and his identity stand out among all others because Jesus was the Son of God and Jesus is alive today. That's what we celebrate at the moment of the resurrection. Mary thought he was dead, and yet Jesus was alive. But the third thing we see is that Jesus cured her blindness. Jesus cured her, her blindness. Now, it's, it's interesting um, how this happened. You know, Mary was blinded in her grief, but there was a point in this story where, where Mary sees Jesus again. And, and when is that point? It's the point when Jesus said her name, when Jesus said Mary. Suddenly, the scales fall off. She snaps too. She recognizes that voice. She looks, and there he is, her risen Savior. It was, it was with the speaking of her name that she is called forth in, into a new relationship with him. And, and here's something that is very important for us to understand today, folks. 
If you are here today and you are in a relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, the Bible would tell us that the living God who rose from the dead, Jesus Christ, at some point in history, called forth your name too and called you into a relationship with himself. Now, 25 years ago, um, I was kind of living out my life uh, as a high school student. I knew a lot of facts up here about God, and I knew a lot of facts up here about Jesus, but I didn't have any sense, any understanding about what it meant. And it was on Easter Sunday, 25 years ago in 1990, that in in the midst of of, of a service, that God really got a hold of me. And this is, this is what it was. I didn't hear an audible voice, but understand that what happened theologically was that God spoke forth my name and he said, Mark, come on, I want to show you this great truth. Jesus died for you. And you know what? If you are in a relationship with God that you've heard the same thing, there was a point in time where, where God said to Carrie, Carrie, Jesus There was a point when when God said to Kara, Kara, Jesus died for you. There was a point that God said to Dan, Dan, Jesus died for you. There was a point that God said to Carla, Jesus died for you. He, he, He did that for us. It wasn't just some generic act in history, but it was an act of love reaching out to those of us that he knows intimately and he loves, and he called us forward and removed our blindness in the midst of this world of grief so that we could understand what he has done for us on the cross. What a remarkable, what an amazing thing. And as as we gather here today, we need to remember if we have a relationship with Christ, it's because he called us into a relationship with Third thing I want us to see, and really it's the question that Jesus asked to Mary when he said, whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Now, that's a funny question. This is Jesus masquerading as the gardener, I I guess we could say, and he asks Mary, whom are you seeking? Now, that's somewhat of a silly question. She's there at the tomb, Jesus' tomb. She's weeping. I'm guessing she's there for Jesus especially when she says that she's looking for this body. It's pretty clear that's who she's looking for. And you know what? It's pretty clear if you showed up here today that you knew we were going to talk about Jesus. If not, I'm really sorry. We have somebody, somebody tricked you into getting here today because this is Easter. This is a place we, we know Jesus here. We're going to talk about him. We're going to look to his cross. We're going to look to his resurrection. Um, we are gathered here around the person of Christ. And yet Jesus asked Mary, whom are you seeking? I think his question was, was not a, a setup. I think it was a legitimate question. And I think he was asking not just for a name, but he was asking for what she believed about, about himself. Jesus was asking Mary, not just for a name, do you know this name of Jesus, but he was saying, who, who do you really think that Jesus is? A dead man? A good man? A teacher man? Or the Son of Man, Son of God, the Savior of the world. Jesus is really asking her that. Who do you really think that I am? Because if you're here to see a dead man, guess what? You're going to look a long time because I'm not dead anymore. Jesus asked that clarifying question. And you know what? I think it's the question for all of us in this room. 
Who are you here to seek today? Are you here to learn about a dead man? Or are you here to have your life transformed by the one who is alive? The one who died on the cross so that we might live. The one who died on the cross so that all of the anger and the wrath of that God has towards our sin might be fully satisfied so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have a relationship with him. Have you come here today to seek that man? If so, I have incredible news for you. And that news is that he loves you. And you know what? I'm not just saying that as a, as a put-on. I'm not just saying that as, as some novel idea that I'm just trying to fill some space. I believe it, and I believe it because the Word of God tells us so, and the Word of God doesn't just say it, but it references the historical event where Jesus came to this earth and he died on the cross for you. That's a demonstration of his love. If you came here today to know the living God, know that he loves you. And the second thing you got to know is that this living God wants to call your name today. And just as he did with me 25 years ago, that he might be calling to you today and calling you forth to trust in him and what he has done for you. You see, the, the Savior of Mary, the Savior of Carrie, the Savior of Kara, the Savior of Carla, the Savior of Dan, the Savior of me is the same. It's not us, it's not our good works, it's not we figured it out. It's what Jesus Christ did, the living one who called us forth into a relationship with himself. I have to believe this morning that this living son of God is calling a few names here, calling you to embrace him in faith. What we're going to do as we, we wrap up is I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to enter into a time of, of worship through song. And uh, in the midst of that song, I'm going to give you a chance to, to declare uh, your need for Jesus, the living Son of God who is calling you today to trust in Him. But first, let's pray. Father, we uh, thank You. We thank You that we have the chance to gather and to worship on this Easter Sunday we thank you that we gather today not to celebrate and remember a dead man, but to gather around the living Christ who offers eternal life to us. Father, I pray that you would um, just be clearing our hearts and our minds, that we would, we would hear clearly from you now, that we would see clearly what you have done for us in Christ, and that we would respond in faith as you call us forth. And like Mary, that we would drop to our knees, and we would embrace what you have done for us, the living one who died in our place. We pray these things in Jesus' name.